Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Which one is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. That's... Yeah, they have asked for that, really. Uh, you can laugh. I was the World Cup. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. But you don't know what you're talking about. What did you want? I managed to stay alive for six days. I'm going to need it there. I'd say it to your face, not say it to you now. I'm down to one field and we'll see them, won't we? What you doing down here, you shawny man? Okay, be honest. Who had Eric Ten Hag down as the kind of manager who would celebrate a cup final victory by dancing a little dance with his players? Any Ajax fans listening would know the history, all right? And probably a few hardcore United supporters who did their deep Ten Hag research when he was appointed. But for the rest of us, it was, I would say, a pleasant surprise to see this extremely serious football man cavorting on the pitch with Anthony and Lissandro Martinez at Wembley Stadium yesterday. Welcome to Monday Second Captain's Football Pod. Hey, Ken. Owen, how are you? Hi, Murph. Congratulations on ending your trophy drought. Thanks, Owen. Uh, hello, Ken. I know you love being congr- congratulated on behalf of the sports teams who win trophies to you. Support. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, if it's the Golden Footballers, I will literally, I will accept the, uh, I will accept the congratulations and reflect quietly on the part that I played in the victory. When it comes to Manchester United, though, I, I, I feel like I'm in a small bit of a greater remove. But nevertheless, Owen, I will accept your congratulations. Roy Keane jokingly urged Ten Hag to resign after that, after his dance. The United manager briefly managed to make the point that there's a history behind it, but he didn't get a chance to explain because he went viral in his previous job when he danced with the same two players, Martinez and Anthony, after one of their trophy wins. So Ten Hag, he knows how to let his let his hair down, you guys. Like, it's not even that it was bad dancing. It was it was so bad that I was... I was wondering if you know if if I just if I'm not hip enough to understand what he was actually trying to do, you know, like his body is almost completely entirely rigid. I've never seen anyone dance so badly, which leads me to think that maybe I'm just not getting it. You know, maybe I just don't understand what he's what he's putting out there. Well, there's nothing to get. I mean, he danced with them at Ajax. He's doing it again. I also thought he he played a major prominent part in the trophy lift as well. He was up there with the players taking his turn to hoist the cup aloft. A lot of managers preferred to watch that one from a distance. I mean, he was still only the second biggest star of the celebrations because for me, it was Wout Weghorst sitting there on his hunkers, drinking it in, and then later has the scarf around his head and a flag around his waist, festooned in Man United. (laughs) A tat. (laughs) 
Um, with, with apologies, I'm sure Todd isn't the well, merchandise. <laughs> is merchandise, the merch. Yeah, yeah. merchandise, merch. Yeah, uh, really, just just drinking it all in. Next up for United's West Ham in the Cup on Wednesday night. There are a couple of Premier League matches the same night: Arsenal, Everton, Liverpool, Wolves. So our World Service members can expect another football pod after all that has taken place. Laurie Whitwell and Miguel Delaney are on the show today. After Ken, your report on sport. <laughs> So, and how do you think he did at the, at the end of it all? How do I think Ten Hag did? No. The main man. Vout. Big Vout. No. Big Lorius. Big Lorius. I thought it might have been one of the Glazers you were talking about, or Alex Ferguson. No. Uh, Lorius Carius. Ah, slightly. Was he at fault for that Rashford goal? Oh, well, that own goal? Has it gone down as an own goal? <clears throat> Bottom own goal. I mean, it wasn't. It was a cross by Rashford, right? It was deflected in. I didn't think it was his fault. Yeah, I didn't either. I thought they were being really unfair on him. Yeah. Yeah, Jamie Carragher really hates him, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, the shot is rolling along the ground. Like, so, I mean, even though it's only just for, like, the yard that Botman's foot is away from Rashford, the ball's along the ground. Carrius has to react, like, instantaneously to the fact that the ball is low. Yeah. And then the ball spins, like, high, uh, viciously high above Carrius' And he kind of limbo thought, dances underneath it in a tragic-looking yeah. way. Yeah, um, but I mean, it's a it's a massive looping deflection, you know. Yeah. Where was Jamie Carragher when Peter Shilton was flapping at that uh, Andy Bremer free kick? That's what I want to know. Yeah. <laughs> Some sometimes you know you're just you're the prisoner of gravity. There isn't much. Yeah. There isn't much you can do. Um, I that, that was the way that I uh, saw it. Anyway, I thought the first goal he was pretty blameless. Overall, I, I'd say. Lars no, gonna, you can't pin this one on Lars Carey. Let's put it that way. No. I'd say he was no. he was one of Newcastle's best players on the day. Yeah, I mean, he made did he make a he made a few saves? I think well, uh, one of their best players might be also stretching. Yeah, well, he he came out well and smothered that Bruno Fernandez shot late on. Not that that had uh, any material impact on the game whatsoever. Uh, uh, how many saves do you think he made? I'm going to say five, eight. Ooh. Okay. according to the official record maybe they all weren't uh, super impressive saves I mean did it count the, do you remember in the very first minute Newcastle someone headed the ball to him and he, and he caught it in yeah. a sort of very flustered way and you thought oh my god it's been two years um, all of this kind of pressure on him you know I thought he did I thought he did okay um, uh, overall the game I don't think was a was there a great game really uh, it was a it was a final a Wembley final they're rarely great. <laughs> a lot of them have been have been fairly uh, horrendous, been fairly turgid. Yeah, but yep. uh, I thought Newcastle tried to come. I mean, Newcastle had had this big uh, build up, this this long lead into the game, while Man United have been off uh, knocking Barcelona out of the Europa League on Thursday night. Um, so you know, in that sense, there's kind of Newcastle obviously had more time to prepare. Um, Coach Howe went with a pretty. Uh, attacking lineup, you know, he he often likes to use Joe Joe Linton, kind of as a in the front line, sort of, which is a way really of stiffening the midfield. But this time he went with Sam Maxman and Amara on either side of Calm Wilson, so that's pretty effect, uh, pretty attacking for him. And I think the idea was um, to go and to try and win the game in the first half, you know, to get it to get in front, and then to use the. Uh, special skills that uh, he has ingrained in this Newcastle team of being clever, of slowing the game down, of getting under the opponent's skin, um, you know, and of of uh, of playing the clock and ultimately winning the trophy. But of course, none of that works when you're losing from the thirty third minute, 
which is the way that it ended up working out for for Newcastle. So it is interesting. Yeah, they did. They, I think they pride themselves on the shithousery. It seems to certainly they do. They, 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 they've they've, they've talked it, about it so much. I'm I'm surprised how much they talk about it because it just seems like a, a, a negative aspect to to concentrate on. You know what, but I mean? what I'm surprised about is that it. That works if you if you take the lead. Obviously, it's a different thing. The only time I've seen it actually work for a team in a way where you, in an almost counterintuitive way, was the famous Chelsea performance at Anfield when Liverpool when they Liverpool were the, the slips. Yeah, the slip. Like Liverpool didn't have to go didn't have to go searching for a win that day, if I remember correctly. It was Chelsea who needed the win more than Chelsea they did. needed. A, uh, Liverpool needed only a draw. Eh? Yeah, and yet Chelsea and yet Chelsea just played in a way where real time waste we'll, we'll make the game as messy as possible which normally would suit the team who are trying to spoil for a draw but they, it was just part of a big psychological ploy I guess to unsettle Liverpool as much as possible so maybe it was part of that there we'll unsettle United you know we'll, we'll get under their skin and they probably did to a certain extent there was a certain amount of animosity between the teams at, at various stages but it didn't knock United off their stride football wise too much that was the problem and also once you go behind there's only so much slowing down of the game you want to be doing yeah, especially when you go two two goals behind um, just a couple of minutes after going one goal behind. So so Newcastle then were left with a problem that they didn't really have the resources to solve. Um, I mean, obviously, Howe brought his 70 million euro striker off the bench, uh, which I thought was, I mean, I suppose you can only fit so many forwards into the team, even if you already have trying to, you know, planning a, a first half blitzkrieg. Um, you know, I, I looked at, at Isaac, and I thought Isaac would surely be be in the Manchester United first team if he was available. You know, if he was in their squad, um, I thought you know he he would he would be in with a pretty good chance of of starting for them, but not for Newcastle. But elsewhere in the Newcastle team, you can see where um, they're going to be upgrading. You know what I mean? We saw we saw Yasser Al Rumayan sitting next to. Um, Amanda Stavely at the at the game, um, you know, doesn't really want to be sitting there watching defeats. I, I suppose, no matter how spirited and soulful the performance from the Newcastle fans. Did you find uh, yourself uh, shedding a tear at the uh, at the Newcastle fans' displays of passion and pride, uh, both uh, at the game itself and also with uh, I don't know, I don't know how much attention you were paying, but there was a lot of um, coverage broadcast by the crowd itself of their uh, gathering at Trafalgar Square uh, the evening before the match. Now I got to be honest, I didn't see the gathering of the fans at Trafalgar Square. There was there was there was enough live sport. There's enough live sport to keep track of over the weekend. I don't often pay too much attention to the goings on of. Yeah, well, no, well, well, Newcastle fans gathering and well, even though that was the real, that was are. the real significance of this moment. I mean, this was more than just a football match, Owen. This was a, this was a, a kind of a national rebirth of the Geordie Nation. As for them in the stadium, I thought, well, listen, we've as Republic of Ireland fans, we've done that ourselves on plenty of occasions. Where uh, there was a Fields of Athenry moment towards the end when they would start waving the flags and then Bruno yes. Fernandes ran through and nearly scored. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I, I didn't... By the way, didn't, by, by yeah. the way, why didn't he score? One reason, yeah. Loris carries. Yeah, Loris carries, yeah. So I didn't feel particularly, like, you know, good, good luck. I didn't feel particularly inspired by it. It's, why not? Uh, the supporters, it, why not? 
Supporters just cheering while their team is not. There's nothing. As I said, oh, you, oh, it happened. So you're saying you just it just leaves you. You're like, yeah, show me more live sport. I am unmoved by the by the happiness of these of this plain folk. I don't actually really care that much about how people <laughs> feel about the teams that they want. You know, you you were you essentially are unmoved by this. Or there was something particularly I, about the Newcastle one that that meant you weren't um, excited. See, so you're analyzing this a lot more than I have analyzed it myself, Ken. So I might let my colleague come in here. And, mm. and give you well, a I feel, flavor of his thoughts while I gather my own. Well, I felt like the the Newcastle, of course. I mean, big day for the Newcastle fans. But what does uh, a, a, a a club giving out flags to their supporters before a game I mean? That in like football culture doesn't it, that doesn't have an uh, an amazing reputation. I don't think. No, it's you know, like, I've like, seen like, it done a lot. The Liverpool I mean, fans, don't the Liverpool fans. The, the, haven't they been seeing this at Chelsea fans for the last 20 years get your flags that's, you out. think of Johnny Aldridge Plazzy flags um, yeah <laughs> the pl- like, Plazzy like, flags like, yeah honestly I was like I was watching the whole thing expecting you know there to be a lot of this but honestly I don't think I've ever seen a louder sports event than the Carabao Cup final yesterday really just like everything about it was just like like any chance that you could hear the fans uh, enjoying themselves at all just completely drowned out the 20 minutes beforehand the 20 minutes immediately after the game was just like constant noise over the pe- I know da, this da, is something da, we've talked da, about da, quite a bit da, over there da, 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 yeah Da, 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 uh, yeah, even da, even da, United's da, da, trophy. Da, da, da. There's some poor enough musical choices around United's trophy presentation as well. But it's also like the, the whole idea of it is like you know Robbo walking up those steps in '83, and you actually get to hear the crowd celebrate the cup being lifted. But instead, you just hear this like ridiculous. I mean, pop music is fine on. You know, it it has its place in the world. But if if you're lifting a trophy, what you want to hear is the reaction of the crowd. You want to hear what it means to the crowd at that moment. And I just thought, like, regardless of whether the whatever the Newcastle fans were doing or the United fans were doing, just the whole thing was just like it was it was it done like a TV event, a football game. Oh man! Well, I mean, Awful. first, just you, you've made a few points there uh, on the flag point. Uh, I mean, I've seen it done um, in a lot of places. I mean, two places I, I, that have made a vivid impression on me were the. Uh, Ernst Happel Stadion in Vienna in 2016, the game when James McLean scored the winner for Ireland against Austria. Um, everyone was given a flag. The Austrian fla- uh, fans were all waving their their flags in time to uh, s- mm, the Radetzky March. You know the one. You know that song. Yep. Yeah. They were giving it loads to that. And then I've also been at Ajax when they. Um, were uh, waving the flags and I you know maybe this is memory playing a trick on me but I think Andre Rieu was on the pitch that night I think Andre <laughs> Rieu was actually there playing. he stokes your dreams Ken you, you, I can't I can't take this at face value well I You're think just, you, I you, think the that man he follows there. you around maybe he follows maybe. he follows you everywhere Ken but weren't they playing the um, they liked that Shostakovich one the jazz suite Maybe I'm mixing it up. There's a couple of similar sounding ones, but what I'm saying is this um, spectacle of all the flag, uh, the flags, kind of uh, going one side to the other, um, uh, in in time to the music, uh, made it made it such an impression on me here that here I am years later telling you this unbelievably boring story. Now um, <laughs> that's how much it meant when I saw that. You know, I don't think there's anything in principle wrong with giving flags. I mean, did the Man United fans not? They were all wearing the same scarf. They must have been given them, right? If you see, you see the United crowd, everyone had the same scarf. So they, it must have been a 
What was it? Do you, did you did you have you seen this? Have you heard? I that? hadn't. I have to say, I hadn't. I hadn't noticed that. Ken, no, I've seen the I scarf. Hadn't noticed I, the scarf. Uh, Harry Maguire was given was wearing was given one of those scarves going up and then discarded it on the way up the steps. What, what a lot of other players took. I was wondering what was behind that decision by Harry Maguire, but uh, perhaps we'll never know because maybe the other maybe, players were wearing the scarf. Maybe he just likes a clean look for when he's uh, lifting the trophy. Could you be. Know? Could be his last trophy. Has. I yeah. would, say, you know, on the thought might have crossed his mind. Why well, yeah. <laughs> I would say if I'm gonna, if there's gonna be one occasion where I'm walking up the steps of Wembley and uh, lifting a trophy, then maybe, you know, I'm gonna look my best. I mean, he's not mucky, he's not sweaty, he didn't play that much, so I mean, I would say why not go all out? I have sure to pa- look pass on as a fresh, a, as fresh as possible. I I heard a, a comment from the mix zone, um, which Harry Maguire uh, was an active participant in. He was brought over by the. Um, by by Man United press people to to do a, a chat even though he only played for a couple of minutes and someone uh, report, is reported to have said is this the first ever recorded instance of someone fronting up after a victory um, <laughs> but, but you know it was a good it was a good day for Harry Maguire and also for um, for Manchester United who I thought what about the Newcastle know, fans but I say why what's your have you got a well uh, you know uh, obviously the, the build up to the game was all about this Newcastle fans and how special this was and I must admit it, the whole thing really left me cold Owen, because I can't take it seriously um, when it's when, when you do it this way it just sort of seems like yeah I mean if 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 this was the, the sort of Keegan Newcastle or the Robson Newcastle getting to uh, a final the way that they had um, the way that they had gone about their their team and i'm not even talking here about the the fact that i don't remember kevin keegan and bobby robson talking too much about the need to be clever in games the way that i've heard some newcastle um people at the moment talk about um but you know it just uh, i mean is this is this are we meant to be sort of pretending that this is like some great achievement i mean this is just like uh the application of you know what i mean <laughs> It, we're going to be seeing a lot more of this. Do you, do you expect to see Newcastle get to finals uh, over well, the David Ginola certainly does. He was he yeah. kept saying that afterwards. I, I do as this well. Is the start of something. I, I, yeah, I, I think so. Uh, I think so as well. So, you know, the fans were kind of celebrating and cavorting, but actually they don't really have much to do with this anymore, in my opinion. I mean, this isn't, this is like, um, they're kind of there as uh, their scenery, their, their props, um, but they're not really... Um, like the flags they're waving. Yeah, I mean, you need someone to wave the wave the flags. You you need you need um, people there to. So you know, it, I don't know. It's not really um, this kind of celebration of uh, of the identity of Newcastle at the exact moment that actually that identity has been sort of changed and uh, sort of almost discarded. I mean, Newcastle are a franchise that Saudi Arabia has bought out and will now use to project project um, project Saudi Arabia. Yeah. Um, so I couldn't find it really to be. Uh, I couldn't find it that exciting. Obviously, in the end, because they were denied the the victory they were hoping for. But of course, there'll be there'll be more chances soon. We all we all know that. I mean, that's just it's as, it's as inevitable as gravity. Um, so you know, don't worry. There'll, there'll be more. There'll be more of these chances. Um, you know, Man United. We're going to talk about them with um, with Miguel and, and Laurie uh, in terms of uh, what they did right. I do wonder though, with the Eddie Howe wonder train begin to run out of puff a bit. Um, because you know we've had 13 14 games since the World Cup 13 goals in those 14 games uh, three draws and a defeat in the last four Premier League games and now obviously the Cup uh, well they didn't win it either I don't know did you watch him uh, doing his post-match interview they obviously 
record it and then play it later on because it's, it's just mostly given over the coverage is as always given over to the winners for the first good while after the final whistle and then it's like we spoke to Eddie Howe earlier and it goes back to Eddie and it was interesting because the, the stadium had gotten a good bit quieter by the time this was played but he was clearly having to do his interview in the bells of Wembley Stadium as at the same time as the Man United players were all handing the trophy to each other and all getting those individual roars, roars yeah. you know, as it's happening, he's trying to answer questions and his eyes are just darting over every now and again, involuntarily reacting at this, uh, at the noises from outside. But yeah, you reckon it's uh, it's it's coming apart for Eddie? Well, I mean, it ha- it has been over the last uh, few weeks, um, but uh, the question now is whether they can whether they can turn it around, they only have the league to concentrate on now and whether they can now... See, it's it's kind of, it's because of the way the season has gone that now to not make the Champions League, I think, will be a big disappointment. You know, whereas previously, at the, at the beginning of the season, I think it would have been, wow, you know, could we do, could we actually do that? I don't think people would have expected it, but now that they've sort of been in that position for most of the season, the expectations do begin to change, which is something that Eddie Howe will have to uh, reckon with. Um, but uh, we look forward to seeing how that goes for him. Um, what else is going on? Yesterday also, Chelsea played uh, Tottenham and were beaten, I think, for the first time at the at the new Tottenham Stadium and beaten pretty easily as well, I have to say. Um, they once again didn't score. Um, uh, Harry Kane, I mean, the saddest moment of this uh, game, I thought, from the point of view of Graham Potter, was... As Spurs scored their second goal, he was kind of he was he was about to bring on subs, and you know we saw Harry Kane score the goal off off a a foul by Eric Dyer. I thought. I mean, there was one. It, it it appears that you can just like pin if you're going for a header in the penalty area, you can just pin whoever's in front of you and use them to, you know, like we saw Vardy all do it, um, uh, who were uh, against Man City in the Champions League during the week. Uh, Dyer did something I thought a bit similar but they said that's fine uh, he had it on to Harry Kane Kane scored the back post uh, this was after Skip had scored a great goal um, to put Spurs 1-0 up just inside the second half um, and the camera then cut from the celebrating Harry Kane to Graham Potter standing on the sideline continuing doggedly to give instructions to the depressed looking Mudrick um, you know just just sort of we've just got to persevere here <laughs> You know, I'm just going to give you the instructions. You know, we've we've gone two 0 down in the last five seconds, but look, it in a way it doesn't change doesn't what really we've got to change, do. It doesn't change anything. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't it doesn't really change the complex the complexion of the tie. You so know? yeah, so so obviously this is now looking. It's it's just it's so bad. Well, uh, they've scored. Is it one goal the last six games? I'm just looking at here. They haven't scored in the last three. And going back a bit further, going back, they've only scored four goals all year, from what I can see. Yeah. All ca- calendar year, as the as 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 we say in our game, uh, in this calendar year, and that's in what eleven games. Yeah, and, you know, I think it's gone from I don't know. In my head, it's gone from a few weeks ago when we were first talking about Potter and the likelihood that he'd be sacked. It was almost as though you know he's a reasonable man. He's clearly a good manager, uh, but they're going to run out of patience with him. To now, he's just doing a terrible job. He's doing an awful job with his team. Uh, they play terrible football. They're awful to watch, and they can't score any goals. <laughs> And yeah. lose most so, of their matches. And quite frankly, like he, like he deserves to be going sacked. on here. Go yeah, by the, me- go by the metrics of lots of other ma- managers yeah. getting sacked. This guy deserves to lose his job. Well, I mean, people clear. are always looking for managers to be sacked, and and this was a point that Graham Potter himself raised in the and not for the first time, by the way, because we mentioned his his habit of doing this. 
But this was Graham Potter towards the end of his uh, press conference uh, at Tottenham yesterday. You know, watching the All or Nothing at Arsenal and two years into Mikel's reign, he's close to getting the sack and people are wanting him out and it's a disaster. And obviously now things have changed a little bit. But that's just the way it is. You know, if you look at Jürgen's situation, they haven't got the results and all of a sudden people want him out. It's just, that's just the nature of football. And obviously I haven't done enough at this club to, 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 to have too much good faith. Um, and I also accept that as well. So... Um, my job is to not to worry too much about that, understand the question, understand where it comes from, totally, and just to try to focus on keep helping the team, keep supporting the players, because I, I really like these players. They're, they're good lads. They want to do better. They want to, they, want to, they want to win. But at the moment, we're suffering, and, and, and that's my responsibility. So there you go, watching the, the Arteta documentary. And the first thing I thought when I heard that was, who's the villain in that documentary? Oh, it's uh, Aubameyang. Aubameyang, <laughs> his own his own player, uh, is emerges as like the guy who who Arteta has got to boot out. To it's literally to... we got rid of we get rid of him and we we you know suddenly we're flying it you know. <laughs> um, but you know, and Arteta, uh, Aubameyang, of course, had those comments where you know he he says, "Oh, it wasn't meant to be recorded or broadcast or whatever." He's like, "Oh, Arteta can't handle big players. You know, he just likes little schoolboys who he can you know." tell to do this and that and they just blah 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 he can't handle a, super, a star player like me but I mean Graham Potter needs to stop making this comparison you know this is nonsense this is absolute nonsense like the worst run did you say Harry Potter there I thought I said <laughs> might have maybe I, I just heard I thought I said Harry. I thought I said Graham Potter I, I'm 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 not someone who would blurt out Harry Potter I'm not a okay well then I'm not a Harry Potter pre- reader I'm not let's a presume it was Graham and we move on yeah I've never I've never read Harry Potter I'm not into that whole thing and okay. pass, pass me new. pass me by on so I hope mm-hmm. I didn't uh, spill it out of my mouth inadvertently but Graham Potter needs to shut up about this because this is completely, it's, it's just, it doesn't stand up. I mean, I looked at it. What's the worst spell that Mikel Arteta has had as the Arsenal manager? It is it, November, December 2020. He went seven games in the league, losing five and drawing two. So that was a bad, bad run uh, for him. But it's, it's seven league matches. By the end of that, he comes out with a big win against Chelsea and kind of wins a few from there. And I think the salient point here is that he had already started uh, in his first season that he came in, as Graham Potter did, although at a later point of the season, but you know, in, in mid-season, let's say, not with a, a pre-season blah, blah, and so on, to, to, to get to know the squad and to train them in his methods and so on and so forth. He had already done far better than Graham Potter has managed to do with Chelsea. So if you look at his... Arteta had 28 games at Arsenal in his first season after he took over, which is his first game, I think, was was the 26th of December game. Uh, I believe that was his first. And he so there was 28 matches remaining in that season. Potter's had 26 matches at Chelsea so far. So if you just compare the first 26 matches that Arteta had... So in the, in the 26 matches, his first 26, 26 out of 28 in that season... 14 wins, six draws, and six defeats, right? Which includes progress to the FA Cup final, which if you add on their final two matches, it's two more wins, 16 wins, six draws, and six defeats. That's his first 28. Uh, plus winning the, the FA Cup final against Chelsea, having beaten Manchester City in the semifinal. One of his first matches um, at the Emirates Stadium was beating Manchester United. They also beat 
Liverpool in the league that season and this was the season that Liverpool won the league by I mean it was in the it was it may have been after they won the league they remember they kind of tailed off still though the point is he scored in, in the 26 matches 40 goals uh, or the team scored 40 goals and 45 in the in the first 28 there was only three times that Arsenal failed to score in that time now if you compare it to what Graham Potter has done 26 matches it's nine wins compared to 14, seven draws compared to six, 10 defeats compared to six. I'm comparing with Arteta, the one he, he, he yeah, keeps comparing yeah. himself with. 25 goals compared to 40. Um, failed to score 11 times. Yeah, that's, that's, that's to, the most damning indictment. Oh, it's it's just, it, like, because failing to score just so many times, it's just it's just an absolute shocker. Two wins in the last 15 um, Premier League games. They've lost seven of those. They've scored eight goals in those 15 matches. They have beaten nobody. How so is Ar- this guy still in Arteta, Arteta was able to point to, you know, we've beaten we've beaten top sides. By the time he had that really terrible run that we mentioned, they'd already beaten City, they'd beaten Chelsea, they'd beaten United, they'd beaten Liverpool. They'd won big games against against top teams. Chelsea under Potter have beaten nobody. They the only good results really that they've had, <clears throat> when I say good, I mean impressive results. They they wiped Milan in the Champions League group stage, but Milan were very bad. You know, Milan were going through sort of a crisis of their own. They're not standing there the Italian champions going into the season, but they've had a they were having a very bad spell at that time. They've lost all their big games apart from uh, they drew at home one all against Man United and drew nil all away to Liverpool, lost to Arsenal, lost to Tottenham, lost to Man City multiple times, lost to Newcastle, obviously lost to Champions League to Dortmund. They haven't beaten a top half team. Another difference is that Mikel Arteta wasn't given £600 million worth of new players to boost the team. You know you know what I mean? Like it's so so to me the fact that he keeps making this comparison is ridiculous. It's delusional. Like there's no Arteta didn't come close to this level of underperformance. I mean, I saw a pass map, you know, one of the kind of football analytics um, accounts tweeting a, the Chelsea pass map. And you know, the, you know this type of a diagram uh, where the players are little circles and you see the lines going between them representing yes. how often they pass to each other. Honestly, the Chelsea team, it looks like Chelsea, the Chelsea team has had a stroke. It's all, it's just all the left side. It's one of the weirdest things I've ever seen. It's Enzo Fernandez passing the ball out to the guys on the left. And then on the right, there's just these disconnected dots. It's like, there's no, it's like, oh, I've never, I've actually never seen anything like it. What, like, what is, what is that? They try to do there. Well, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the, the reason create why overloads keeps, on the left hand yeah. side, but you don't create overloads by just constantly passing to that Going area. Down and one side, like, yeah. Sorry, Murphy, you're trying to get in there. No, just like, I mean, he keeps making this uh, comparison and it is stupid. You've got to say but he's got nothing else to say, you know? Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> like, there's literally no other argument that he can make for him to still be in the job. You know, there's there, there's nothing. Well, he has nothing to point at other than the possibility that other good managers have previously been terrible for an admittedly much, much shorter and uh, much less significant time than me. Yeah. I, I mean, I still do have some sympathy with him because... I feel like there, he has been unlucky in various ways. Like, say, for instance, when he came in at first, he did have a lot of injuries to important players. So the kind of Chelsea team that you would have expected, like, you know, if you looked at their squad and go, well, you know, he'll be in, he'll be in. A lot of these guys were unavailable. I mean, Reese James being the, the, the biggest one because he's, like, such a top player and he missed so much of the of the first part of um, Potter's management. But now he's got, like, the opposite problem. A lot of these players have come back from injury, although, as he keeps saying recently they're not fully fit so he can't keep like everyone's like why did you drop why did you drop Reese James and he's like because if I keep playing him he's going to get injured again you know what I mean so he, he keeps having to sort of rotate but 
they've, he's got so many new players now that it's, it's like it's and, and players who are back from injury that now he's got like oh god it's not like mm. he's got way more players than he can use um the uh yeah the, the only sympathy i would have for him is that you know the, the knock on him is that he is uh not a very charismatic uh personality and that you know he's that in a situation like this where it's a complete you know, the, the club is spending all this money. It's an extremely chaotic environment. And mm. maybe there are some managers who could actually thrive in a chaotic environment like this and, like, you know, uh, channel all of this energy. But but Graham Potter, Graham Potter does not strike me as the sort of guy who's good at channeling energy in any he's not. Direction. He's not enough of, a, of an ego egoist. Like, you know, he... he you know, some... that That's actually what they kind of need because they've got so many tiers in their squad now it's such a weird uh, squad you know you've got like a, a tier of players who kind of uh, are in the team fairly regularly a tier below that who are trying to get in the team or you know want to be regular players in the team but then like there's a whole layer of like people who are essentially irrelevant now <laughs> who know they're not going to be anywhere near it who are effectively disinterested observers you know, but who nevertheless <laughs> sort of hang out with hang out with the team? Like it's so weird. So he needs to kind of go, you know, to pick a to to pick a group out of them and and tell the rest of them to, to go and train with the kids. You know what I mean? Only a real arsehole could 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 handle this situation. And Graham Potter just isn't that. He's kind of like a, you know, let's 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 try and build a consensus here. But you can't. Yeah. There's, there's just too many yeah, people. I I feel like maybe this isn't. This doesn't have to be the end of Graham Potter's, uh, you know, top level managerial no, career. No, no, I think no, like I going think so. into a settled club, he could do actually a very good job. Or it, even an un, it, even is, an unsettled it, club with with a kind of a, a, a different type of you know more humble squad, which was maybe yeah. one third smaller than Chelsea's currently is. Yeah, yeah. I just feel like maybe this could be the worst possible marriage of a club, uh, a new owner, and a manager that football has ever created. Yeah, I think. Uh, I think you're not far off. Now, what it, it already seems a long um, time ago that it was Saturday. Obviously, Arsenal kept going. Manchester City kept up the chase. Um, Liverpool participated in one of the worst Premier League games of all time uh, away to Crystal Palace. Uh, it was definitely a bottom 1% game in Premier League history, I think. Um, so we're not going to even bother spending any time on that you know it no, was... Saturday Saturday was compared to the previous Saturday there's been a lot of a lot of shocks and various things happening it was a little bit of an underwhelming one yeah and it went on a long time that's, that, that Liverpool game was on what that was a, that was quarter, a quarter to eight or, or maybe quarter to eight seven. so it was a long yeah. day of football but there was no early game in fairness so it started at three and then yeah yeah that ah, wasn't great but look it's it's, it's as you it's were. over now <laughs> it's over now that's the important thing one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So, Fit asked that question. Pretty strange. Yeah, very disappointed. Yeah, but there you go. What have I become? My sweetest friend. I mean, at the time, I thought that you were completely in the right. Everyone I know. But now I think. Goes away. Should just play then. Just play then. I'm surprised you're really asking that question. And you could. No, well, it doesn't matter really what you think. My of dirt. Yeah, you weren't there at the time. I will let you, down. you weren't a, an international player. I will make you hurt. And you hadn't had the frustrations I had. If I could start again. You've not played at the international level. A million miles away. And you hadn't been accused of taking an injury, so... I What you think doesn't really matter. I would find a way. Miguel Delaney was at Wembley for the Independent. Hey, Miguel. Hello. And Laurie Whitwell was there for the Athletic. Hope you're well, Laurie. Hi, guys. Very well. Thanks for having me on. Trophy number one. Thanks for being on. Trophy number one in the bag for Eric Ten Hag. And uh, I mean, it was fairly comfortable, really. The whole the whole match, the whole day. It was just a, it's just a nice day out for Man United and their fans. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's been, you know, six years since a trophy's won, uh, but it actually felt like it was part of the routine, you know, turn up at Wembley. Uh, they didn't play at their best. I think that's to be expected after the Thursday night against Barcelona and the kind of emotional, uh, physical toll that that probably took. Um, but they, you know, made the difference in crucial moments, um, got the got the advantage and then just sort of saw it out. It was actually a very sort of Newcastle performance from them. Uh, in the sense that that's what Eric Ten Hag had been referencing pre-match, you know, the kind of time wasting and uh, the kind of, you know, just grinding it out. And obviously David De Gea got booked for taking too long on a kick uh, in the second half, which was kind of ironic. But uh, yeah, at the end of it, all that mattered was them getting that piece of silverware because it really does give validation to Ten Hag's methods. Were you surprised, Miguel, how comfortable it was for United? Um, maybe not in the sense that Newcastle have been dropping off pretty much all year. Um, and can't seem to score a goal. And that was the thing. I mean, whatever about their way for a trophy, I mean, it felt like it could have been even longer for a goal yesterday. Even I think, I think that was what actually was particularly clever about Ten Hag's approach. I mean, I agree with um, with Laurie. In, they were fully willing to match Newcastle in nastiness, which is a word we've heard a lot over the past few weeks. And it is apparently really winding up a lot of Premier League teams that play Newcastle. So they're willing to get into that, especially with kind of Casemiro and, and Martinez. But on the other side, in the first half, I mean, I think it is possible that the fixtures, maybe it could slightly catch up with United. And as Laurie's referenced there, they didn't have the energy of Thursday. But where they kind of compensated for that and where Ten Hag was really clever, it did feel like in the first half, they basically just decided to kind of cede initiative to Newcastle, let them have the ball. Because in the way this Newcastle plays, they're not as comfortable when they have to build um, as when they kind of get to be kind of compact and break. And that would that came across and how little Newcastle seemed to be able to do with it. 
um, which is one reason why, why they've dropped off. And yeah, other than maybe kind of a few attacks where kind of, you know, Martinez had to go in, get in with his head, where, you know, someone else went, went with their feet. Uh, it was pretty comfortable for United. Martinez also did um, headbutt Fabian Scher, which apparently is okay. Um, uh, Penalty-wise, you know, as long as you take enough damage. But just uh, the thing that you mentioned there, we and we've got time to talk about uh, Manchester United and what they did well, but Newcastle's nastiness um, that you, you say other Premier League teams are annoyed by. I mean, is that, you know, are you referring to stuff you've heard beyond sort of uh, Mikel Arteta complaining about the time-wasting and all that kind of thing? Well, it's sort of gone around the league now that when you're in a game with Newcastle, you know you're going to get... Um, and I suppose there is another side to this. Now, obviously, because of the various issues with the ownership and all the debate already, I think there's a there's a wider uh, antipathy towards um, Newcastle in football. But, I mean, it almost feels like that's something that has, you know, fed into a certain siege mentality on their part. I, hate, I can't believe you use the word siege mentality, given how overused it is. But, but in, in the sense of almost embracing that kind of outsider thing that has fed into this football. Like, and there's a certain amount of kind of defiance about it that's played into psychological tactics to, uh, to, to wind opponents up. And that's something that's completely happened. And you can certainly see, I know a lot's been made of it, but you, you can see how uh, Eddie Howe has been to see uh, Diego Simeone's Lego Madrid because there are mm-hmm. elements of that. But yeah. on Sunday, United were more... You know, like, this is the thing, and I think this is why it's important in terms of how it's gone around the league because now I think clever teams are going to be prepared for that. And I think you certainly could see it at Manchester United yesterday. Yeah, I think... Larry, I wonder what your opinion is about that because... Um... Okay, so how was out at, uh, at Atletico? Obviously, Kieran Trippier was there. I mean, it was one of his interviews before the final, he was talking about, you know, you have to be cute. And, you know, by which he means all of those annoying things, up to and including, he was particularly impressed by Stefan Savage uh, pulling people's hair. He thought that was, he, I, it's great to see. Uh, if people don't like it, but I, I think it's great to see, said said Kieran Trippier, which I just wonder if, 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 if it's wise for Newcastle to to kind of lean into that in the way that they have been doing because actually if you look at the teams that have been successful uh, in the Premier League over the last few years it's Liverpool and City who've been the dominant teams and they've also been kind of top of the fair play table you know what I mean like it, it seems as though this type of well you gotta be niggly you gotta be cute actually is not really borne out by the recent evidence well yeah and I think also as, as Miguel sort of touched on if um, you've got this wealth behind you. And I know they're kind of, you know, presenting this story of it being modest investment at the moment. Um, but then I think the perception is that you should win well, you know, you should win in the style that Manchester City have won in the last few years where they've used a load of money and, and bought great players and played some fantastic football. Um, I think to spend money and, and be niggly and kind of, you know, just grind the clock down and, and you know, cause fouls, and that's just going to antagonise people. Um, I mean, yeah, Tenag obviously mentioned it in his pre-match press conference. He came in with that agenda in mind before the Carabao Cup to specifically mention that because the question was very simply, you know, what have you been impressed by with Newcastle? And he went the other way. You know, he, he did give some complimentary words to them, but then he basically said they're annoying and, and yeah, he doubled down on it when he was sort of asked to clarify, yeah, no, they are annoying. And then we obviously went away. He, he's lit the uh, the fuse and, and we've gone away to Opta and asked them, okay, is he right about, you know, the ball in play time? And, and yeah, basically he was, you know, Leeds are the team that have had the ball 
football in play less than them, uh, sort of 51 minutes on average, and, and Newcastle 51 minutes, 47 seconds. I'm currently reading it off the article that we published, obviously. Um, so, yeah, they, they, it's borne out that you know, teams have obviously noticed that. And, and that obviously then puts into practice what you do on the pitch yourself. I mean, United, yeah, they they they, they kind of out house them really didn't they you know De Gea booked Dallo booked Martinez booked Shaw booked Fred booked Casemiro booked I mean it's uh you know at, at times it was just you know whatever we'll take these fouls just to kind of get the clock down to, to 90 minutes and and win the t- game 2-0 so and, and I, I then don't think that Lucas can have any complaints when they've kind of revved it up in advance like they have Casemiro from, from the perspective funny, though yeah. just, Miguel, yeah. just just on that own um like around the club this week, and even yesterday, especially with people like you know Ferguson there and Ten Hag referencing how he he went for dinner with Ferguson and spoke about how you how you manage how you get through games. There was an element of United's performance on Sunday that was like that that well like Keane and Cantona you say and Ferguson himself that if you want to play we'll play, but if you want to get into a fight hmm. we'll be ready for a fight as well. I thought that was Ronan O'Gara. <laughs> oh well, I, so I think <laughs> no, maybe it's a Cork thing. <laughs> Keane definitely references that in his book because he says it when he's talking about teams like Wimbledon, and I think that's obviously going to be amplified when you've got players. I mean, this is what we were talking about. This is after the game with some of the journalists, and it's something you know that, that's going around now. That this whatever about Ten Hag has done with the team, and in terms of his own management, he's also ensured it's filled with these big South American characters who would subscribe to a certain. Uh, approach when it comes to victory and Martinez we've mentioned and Casemiro uh, being a hugely influential figure in this and it has kind of the dressing room has pivoted away from what it was under Solskjaer now to something very different and actually elements of the game yesterday as well also reminded me of uh, how Argentina are willing to kind of fight during the World Cup as well Casemiro at one stage he, he sort of boots Joe Linton a ball goes out the crowd roars then he roars back to the crowd and gets them going again he was absolutely loving it you, you talked so, about who eventually he, is there Miguel I mean are we talking like are we talking sort of Van Dyke at Liverpool I mean peak Van Dyke at Liverpool levels here because he does seem to have transformed you even hear Rashford talking afterwards and saying it's just he, his face mm. broke into a smile when he was asked about Casemiro and he just talked about how secure even the front players feel when that guy is in midfield behind you Oh yeah they're clearly enthralled to him um, it's, it's, I mean maybe different to like different age profile as well uh, uh, but yes may similar sort of effect in, in terms of that aura and actually on that celebration in the mix zone afterwards, he hasn't got really good English yet. I suppose it makes oh, it more impressive. To, he, he's your man. Oh, yeah, I had to, had to uh, oh, well, uh, <laughs> had a question in Spanish. <laughs> yeah. But he, he was um, he, he was speaking in Portuguese uh, to some of the Brazilian broadcasters and then in Spanish to kind of some of the written press to you, there. To you, Miguel. Uh, and and he was he was asked about um, uh, the this celebrating this uh, that moment and uh, you know was this because it meant so much after six years? He goes no. It, it, it's, just, it's just how I play. Anyone who knows me knows I go for a ball like it's a plate of food, um, which is quite, quite a nice line. But yeah, it's quite chunky. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> do you th- do you see this then, Laurie? I mean, say for instance, uh, we saw after this game, you know, Gary Neville and, and Roy Keane and whoever else talking about how great uh, the spirit was in the United team and so on. It's not long ago. Roy Keane was sitting there going, "Leopards don't change their spots," you know, and he was and he was re- referring to many of the same Manchester United players who were there. You know, they they got rid of Jose, they'll do Ollie, you know, and um, 
And that's that's basically what these players are. Now, obviously, a couple of players have come in, but it seems as though the, the chemistry there has just changed beyond recognition. Yeah, I, I think also Roy Keane, you know, he's on TV, isn't he? And, and, and he's absolutely justified in his opinion. But I think probably that is, it was a, a extreme characterization of, of what was going on. Yeah, it was a difficult dressing room. Some players have left that have obviously alleviated those issues to a degree. Well, he was the one, the one who's left is the one that he was defending the whole time, Ronaldo. Well, but anyway, we didn't, yeah, I don't want to get caught down in that. He was the one that Keane was always like, you can't, you can't criticize Ronaldo. He gets you goals. Uh, I mean, we'll talk about 45 minutes for that, will we? Back to Ronaldo. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, uh, Laurie. I just said no, that. not at all. You, you, you're you're very right, and, and I mean that that was such a huge decision, and but that encourages other players to go. Okay, Senag's walking the walk here. Like if if we don't, you know, subscribe to the discipline on and off the pitch, you know, both in terms of timekeeping. Rashford, you know, drops uh, for Wolves for being late for the for the morning team meeting that that morning. You know, it was twelve thirty kickoff, and it was the, the, he overslept and he was out the team, even though he was literally pinned on the wall at one point. Um, you know, Ronaldo the biggest character being dropped so but it means that the players you know going to listen to him both you know in terms of discipline off the pitch but then also what he wants from them on the pitch and that then translates into these moments where you get Casemiro cheering you know the fact that he's uh, shepherded the ball out for a goal kick and, and Varane and Martinez and Dallo like gathering around him like you know psyching each other up like it's the biggest moment in the game uh, Martinez had one way he, he blocked a shot in the second half from Joel Linton I think and and Varane was you know fist pumping um, sort of wildly you know these are guys that have won Champions League so if they're you know celebrating these kind of mundane aspects of the game you know um then i think that just creates a whole vibe around the place that you know the younger players go for that and and i think that's probably the difference from previous where you had the guys that had the most influence the most status perhaps not being that way inclined and therefore the younger players or you know perhaps the more uh influenced players would then you know uh, give in to those moments in their personality that are kind of less uh, committed in, in that regard, so it it kind of is, but yeah, and, and but Tenag central to it all, absolutely. He he is you know clear with his instructions, economical with his language, um, so that the players absolutely understand where he's coming from and know that he means what he says. What do you or how do you um, characterize the contribution that's being made by Big Vaud Veghorst, who was very happy to have won, I believe, the first trophies of his career. Uh, and and you could see um, the sort of joy he was taking in it. I mean, I'm not sure what to what to think about him. Like he since he joined United, I think it's one goal and one assist in 12 matches. Yeah. Um, well, he's, he's, not he's clearly kind of just. Sorry, go on, Miguel. He's clearly just kind of filling a tactical role temporarily, isn't he? He's like, well, yeah, I mean, he, he, I, I mean, I, the thought did, did occur to me, you know. What if they had a proper player here instead of this guy? Yeah. But maybe, maybe is, is that unfair? I mean, just the fact that when you, when you literally, isn't doing you literally anything, obviously... pondered last week, what if they had a footballer? What, what if they had a, a player. football player in there? Yeah. You know, I mean, which is, which is, which is me. <laughs> They've upgraded to this week. You come, yeah. you, you, you start, um, you start blurting <laughs> things out. But, you know, he, he's not, obvi- he's not doing anything obviously impressive. But the record since he's been in the team is really good. I mean, they've only lost one game. That was the one at Arsenal. Mm. Uh, which actually he he played quite it's well. Second in. game, yeah. yeah. And, and he, I mean, he, he literally came straight into the team. Like it was like a day or two after he signed that he was like in, and it's just been this run of of consecutive starts. You know, twelve as you say. Because and they've Marshall. won nearly they've won nearly every match. So I mean, is, is yeah. he is he an important part of that, or has he kind of just been carried along by the tide of victory? No, he, he definitely is because you know you 
Otherwise, I, I, who who? I mean, yeah, who else do you put there for a start? I mean, Rashford has played up there. They've had Scott McTominay finishing the game. He, that's the second time. You know, he did that against Barcelona as well. Um, although I think Bruno Fernandes was also up top in, in that. You know, he think maybe Scott McTominay was the number ten actually, and it's to close out that game. Um, so Tenag sort of kind of piecing it together. And I do wonder what would this team be with a centre forward that wasn't, you know, relegated with Burnley last season as, as you know, his, his latest uh, posting, which is maybe unfair, but clearly he's a limited uh, footballer centre forward. Um, he gets chances. He's, you know, you know that one in the first half where he turns, it was kind of like, I was sort of reminded of Dennis Bergkamp against Newcastle all those years ago at St. James's Park, but obviously much more cumbersome. Um, uh, and and obviously the, the strike wasn't as effective. Um, but then, you know, he also had that one from long range that Carrius did well to save. And he said, you know, he got one-on-one in, in different matches as well, uh, where you thought, okay, that's that shows the, the kind of movement that he's got. And I think he has absolute uh, buy-in uh, to ten method you know he's clearly going to be devoted to him he's given him this chance to play for man united and he's won a trophy the first of his career he, he will do anything that that tenag says from here on out um but i do i mean imagine if united had a striker that was you know kind of lethal that that, that defenses feared in, in an attacking sense um you know and that's going to be the big question this summer really can united buy a striker like that because you know you, the potential ceiling is is enormous if they can so, Miguel, do you think he he stays? Um, you know, is is he valuable enough to say, okay, you know, you're going to be part of this squad as as an option, maybe not as our main man, but uh, you deserve to stay. Well, well, some of those recruitment decisions are going to be dependent on who the owners of the club are in the summer. Although it does increasingly feel like the Glazers will stay. What? If that's the case, and they get, yeah, um, but. Well, but uh, Oh no, we, 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 we've got time. To, we've got time. To <laughs> we'll go back to, yeah, <laughs> just, just on Veghurst very quickly, I suppose. If I mean, obviously, they're going for a kind of a new number nine in the summer with the names most frequently mentioned now, Kane and Ossiman, who I probably suit what they want much more, especially given his speed. Although it might be harder to get out of Napoli, which is remarkable to say, given that for Kane they'd be dealing with Daniel Levy. Um, but uh, maybe in that, if that happens, though. They keep Veghorst again as someone, an alternative, someone you can bring on. Or, or he's a very good stand-in to have. And yeah, and as Laurie said there, he's uh, very evidently, absolutely delighted to be here and play his part. And he, like again, he he, st- he stopped in the uh, in the mix zone after. He was absolutely thrilled. And like Simon Peach said to him, like, if I told you two months ago that um, you'd be playing for Manchester United and win a trophy, what would you say? And he just goes, "Deal," with a massive smile on his face. Um. Actually, that, that was one thing beside Laurie for the press conference yesterday. And one of the really noticeable things about it all was, I mean, Ten, Ten Hag, for a manager who's obviously quite hard-edged and has been to a Champions League semi-final with Ajax having destroyed Ajax, or sorry, having destroyed Real Madrid and Juventus, he was absolutely thrilled to have won the League Cup yesterday. Mm-hmm. It was, um, we would say, and maybe there's a thing with like Casemiro and Varane as well, that because of what United are in terms of an equivalent of Real Madrid in terms of global fame, it is different to win there. Hmm. I'm actually, yeah, I'm not as surprised as a lot of people seem to be about how excited all those players were. You know, football, I think, appears to be an extreme. Anytime you watch any of these documentaries about footballers, it seems to be an extremely boring, mundane existence <laughs> for, for 99% of it. So the very, very rare days, even for players like Casemiro in the grander scheme of things, that you win a trophy like that, I think... Of course you're going to be. It's mm. it's a break from the mundanity, you know, <laughs> uh, whether it's the League Cup or the Champions League. But I did want to ask, Miguel, just about, uh, you reckon that the Glazers, is a, bit, a big statement on a Monday morning, you reckon the Glazers are going to stay? 
this stage. Well, I mean, this is chatter that's been going around for about a week now, especially since the initial bids went in, because I I think they were expecting over six billion for the club. Uh, obviously, the, the the bids so far have been well short of that. Now, the big um, potential twist here is that if Qatar really wants the club, and I know there's a whole bigger discussion about how what what and a moment of enormity would that that would be for football, and just 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 what a, a bad day of football it would be. But you you would think if they actually want the club, they can just put in the sort of offer offer that the Glazers want. But for the moment, it's well sure, and it does feel like it's all feeding into this idea that really they were kind of testing the waters. They're seeking minority investment. That this is sort of uh, drawn out, and of course, this all feeds into as well the fact that there's still a bit of a split within the family about selling the club. You know, it, uh, two of the brothers, I think it, it's most most stridently Joel, who wasn't there yesterday, it was Avram who was there yesterday. They they want to actually keep the club. And even, uh, you know, me and Laurie were talking about this yesterday, the fact that Avram turned up in itself is a bit mm-hmm. of a statement in, in yeah. the current context. Yeah. I think that was a big moment, really, because, yeah, it, it was unexpected. And Ten Hag shook his hand you know in the in the stands not everyone did uh ten Hag did and he was uh very respectful to him in the post-match Hang on, not, not everyone not all the man united players yes. shook Avram Gle- no. is that because they didn't know who he was or i mean i actually don't know it's funny i was trying to re-watch it was harry Maguire's the one that we all saw on the sort of big screen uh and, it, and he, he embraced uh richard arnold who was who was stood next to avram glazer and, and avram wasn't really looking at him so he, but as he turned Maguire's already kind of gone past and i don't know if they saw each other but there's a sort of slight motion from avram glazer it's a, he's clapping his hands. It's kind of, kind of put them out. So I, I don't, I don't know if you'd call that a snub, but it was just mm. quite interesting that you know there, was, there certainly wasn't a handshake between them anyway at that particular moment. But then Avram Glazer was in the dressing room afterwards. Uh, he was you know with uh, Sir Alex Ferguson, uh, you know chatting about the match after, after the game in the tunnel. Um, so it, it was, it felt like a, a, you know he will say I just wanted to watch my team you know play in the Carabao Cup final, and he was uh, at Old Trafford for the opening day game against Brighton with his brother Brian. Weirdly, um, uh, which United lost, obviously. Um, so he, ha- he has attended kind of like one game a season, and then I suppose this is the first showpiece that he's been able to go to because the Europa League final was in Gdansk, you know, in COVID times. Um, so maybe we should, we should, you know, that's just part of his routine. But it did feel that it, at this crucial moment in the takeover talks, the investment talks, that him being there was a was a bit of a statement. And whether that is a kind of sign that you know, as we've been sort of told, that he is, you know, still invested in the club in that way um, not really wanting to sell kind of reluctant to put it on the market or whether it's just a negotiation tactic to sort of say to you yeah. know the Qataris or Jim Ratcliffe you know I know I'm serious about potentially staying so you better up your bid otherwise you know you're not getting it and and they see this as this you know once in a lifetime opportunity or whether it is also part of him looking at the success that Senhag might bring the potential that they've now they could they could go to a lender and get more favorable rates on credit um with the with the kind of raise in share price um and then thinking that in future if we can build a stadium then the the club value is going to be much more than it is now as well um yeah. i think they're all sort of factors to kind of debate but i did feel like it was a significant uh, piece that he was at uh, Wembley well, even in the more immediate term though just on, and it's this is interesting the context of who they're playing on sunday which is liverpool and where now they've finally got that that first trophy, this new era again. I mean, surely the Glazers would have been conscious of just how much an exciting club team of Liverpool completely transformed their finances for five years, where they went from kind of, you know, Liverpool as a brand, not making what they should, to suddenly being like one of the most uh, exciting 
uh, names in sport again, and like the the um, the ink, the resource, or the, sorry, the revenue of the club mushrooming. Yeah, even still, though, you know, the, I mean, I, I I see what you're saying. You know, but maybe the guys are thinking, oh, you know, what? Why are we selling at the worst possible performance point? You know what I mean? We've we've been playing badly for a while, and and maybe we're we're selling sort of at the bottom of our, our potential here. And and if this is going to get better, then you know maybe it'll be worth more. It would have to get a lot better for it to be worth more, based on the underlying figures of what Manchester United actually are. I mean, you know, there's a piece in the Financial Times yesterday. Their their Lex team looked at United, um, and it was about you know the the asking price of the club. I mean, so so basically the market capital or the enterprise value, so-called, of the club. If you look at what's the club worth based on the share price, it's currently around $4.5 billion. Um, the asking price that Glazer's are looking for, as you mentioned, is uh, reckoned to be $6 billion. But based on their analysis of the of what Manchester, of, of the money Manchester United actually makes and can be expected to make going forward, it's only worth $1.6 billion. You know what I mean? Like their their estimation of what it's worth as a financial or an economic asset is miles off even what the, the stock market says it is, never mind what the Glazers would like it to be. So how do you explain that enormous gap? I mean, it's one third of the stock market valuation and one quarter of the asking price is what they think it's really worth based on the underlying numbers. Well, I mean, I'm not a financial analyst. That's one thing we can say, first of all. <laughs> I suppose a big one is, um, and just from, so remember after the Super League doing a piece on this, and whether, and it was actually a discussion whether the Super League would mark the moment for a lot of this particular type of investor who are either kind of uh, groups like the Glazers or uh, equity firms or, you know, the, the, the Liverpool FSG model, whether that would be the moment to check out because the Super League was supposed to be a last possible moment to kind of to multiply the value of clubs in the way that they've seen. Like it was explained to me, if you actually look at MLS clubs, who obviously they, they just can't compete financially with the Premier League, their value is higher than it should be because they're in a closed league. And that's that's why so many of, the, so many of these sort of owners were willing for some sort of Super League project like that. Uh, and I suppose something like that comes down to as well, uh, poten- to potential earnings in the future. The stadium is a big one, as Laurie has uh, has uh, spoken about there. Because even I was talking to someone about this two weeks ago, uh, when the news broke about the Spurs bid that was well short of what Daniel Levy wants and ENIC wants. Uh, but a lot of that was actually to do with just how lucrative the Tottenham Stadium is. It, it pretty much put a, a value of $1.5 billion onto the club. Laurie, what's the sense you got? We were knocking this around last week about the how supportive Manchester United fans would be uh, of the Qatar takeover. Yeah, um, this has been um, a divisive issue on social media. Uh, I sat next to Miguel yesterday and Samuel Lucas as well. The three of us were, were together, took a selfie and haven't yet posted it to the internet because uh, we've all been subject of uh, some some criticisms from certain sections of, of social media about our, uh, I guess, wow. uh, scepticism about a Qatari takeover. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it, it feels like on online, certainly in certain parts, you know, it, it's overwhelming support for for a Qatari bid because it would mean wiping the debt, 
it would mean a new stadium. Uh, it would mean United can invest in transfers and that's all that matters. I think if you speak to match-going fans, and I've certainly had you know, uh, one get in touch with me um, uh, to say he would actually give up his season ticket if he if, if the Qataris took, took charge. There's other people that have been um, expressing serious reservations to me as well. Um, but it's, it's, it's a very toxic issue if you kind of poke your head and, and you know, post about it. I mean, Miguel's got the skin of a rhino because he he just sort of doubles down and keeps going. Um, I sort of put my bit out there and kind of leave it and, and don't look at the comments. Um, yeah, I know. I've, well, I've, I've, I have followed Miguel's interactions over over the years with interest. I don't know how you yes. have the I don't know how you have the the hard nose for that, Miguel. But yeah, so so what's oh, the I actually, um... what sort of criticism are you getting then, Miguel? Is it from people? Who, is it when you say things like that you doubt this is going to happen? People get on to no, you no, and say how dare you? Uh, or what sort of tone is it? more so that it shouldn't happen because uh, I do think that's I mean this is for, for two reasons I think Qatar taking over Manchester United and people should really be under no illusions about what sort of bid this is um, but for two reasons I, th- I think it'd be a moment of no return for English football one is who Manchester United are I mean with all respect to Manchester City and Newcastle uh, b- big English clubs with, with, with proud histories trophies big fan bases but Manchester United are a, a, a massive global sporting name in that way. So even the symbolism of that, these these sort of states, and it is it's it's three specific states who are the main drivers of the Gulf blockade, all buying clubs for similar the same political reasons and pretty much from the same playbook. To 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 go from that and and even Harry Sanjaman to owning Manchester United is an absolutely huge step. But then of course it's 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 also what it means in terms of that'll be again these three states from the Gulf blockade who are kind of playing out their own political rivalry has been going on for decades really given some of this goes back to family disputes and the formation of the UAE um, who are basically treating the kind of the Premier League as a proxy for the, for this rivalry It's and with, with all the potential effects in that I think it's it would be a terrible thing for football and, and not least and of course how a great club like Manchester United is used for kind of cynical political aims but if you say this uh, I think the biggest one I got was um, racism and uh, Islamophobia. Hmm. Which, well, what, which are, felt, is, is this? This is sort of interesting, you know. I mean, because you, yeah. you obviously got like uh, you know, huge numbers, like an, an almost statistically yeah. significant sample of message. So I, I wonder what what patterns you can identify, or, or it, what are the main things that get said to you, and do you notice sort of commonalities between these things? Or yeah, out? which does make you wonder about how much. I mean, to be fair, I think a lot, a lot of people's responses are instinctive, and this is where it always gets a bit blurred. And yet, you're right. Mm. Actually, I, I would completely agree with Laurie. I, I think there is huge, at the very least, resistance or kind of um, very reserved discussion about this among United fans. If a lot of you're not, a lot of United fans get onto me, especially when they kind of saw the abuse, expressing that I'm really uncomfortable with Qatar to buy the club. Um, I think there's an absolutely huge core of that. But just because Manchester United have this absolutely massive global fan base to just the sheer numbers say even if say 60 to 70 percent of the club's support didn't want Qatar 30 percent is still such a massive number Mm. that you you still see you still can't help but notice and yeah the uh the racism and Islamophobia is a huge one that that gets put out there uh which is you know it's it's remarkable that is given that one of the primary criticisms of Qatar is of course a a labor system that the UN have said is is built on uh, racial discrimination um, hypocrisy is always the big one as well yeah. especially when it, yeah, you get thrown and then like stuff like oh they've invested in these brands what about the shard uh, it, it's, just, it's just amazing to hear the same things oh, it's like going through the process I had with, with City and then with Newcastle 
Um, and it's just which kind of does make you kind of a little bit more <laughs> weather to it, I suppose. But I, I, I did. I was I was talking to to Larry about it. I, the, the difference this time I found was um, was just the sheer scale of it. Interesting, actually. On the way to the game yesterday, we were sat with a few Newcastle fans on the tube. And I must say, uh, very very good natured. Uh, some of them had recognised me from covering the club, but <laughs> outside the ground, just as we were getting to Wembley. Um, so some bloke walks by and just shouts, "It's him!" and then starts kind of like aggressive, aggressively making the wanker sign at me. Uh, and, and 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 doing like, are you sure it's for your Newcastle reporting, Miguel? <laughs> well, well, that, that could be, yeah, yeah. But doing that classic, that classic motion of kind of trying to go motioning forward, but actually going the other way. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, but Larry, interestingly, at that, at that entrance, though, sorry. Um, no, I, I saw Amanda Stavely and and you know the the um, hierarchy at Newcastle walking and they get applauded. You know, so that's the that's the effect. You know, of, of what you talk about sports washing in action. And I do wonder if you know if Sheikh Yassim is successful with his bid, whether that is. I, I, I would be very surprised if that's the reaction at yeah, the games from Manchester United fans. Um, but the the other just one aspect, the nuance to the criticism that I've been getting is is basically. Um, a, 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 a rhetoric that I am lying about certain things. So it's like it's that it's it's trying to um, it's trying to undermine your credibility as a journalist. So we did a yeah. a, a podcast, a, a, we did a survey on online where you know for subscribers it came out as like sixty percent wanted Sir Jim Ratcliffe and like sixteen percent for Qatar, and then we had a few other sort of options. This is before the bids had kind of officially gone in, and then like loads that's, that's, of. Loads of Twitter accounts just claimed that it was it was false and we'd made up this poll and then did their own poll and obviously the Twitter you know um, sample poll is you know is, is you know, overwhelmingly in favour of Qataris and then it's like you're a liar um, you're on the Glazer payroll and it's just this kind of warped view of what you are as a journalist that I, I don't know if it's like a deliberate tactic to kind of you know just unsettle and, and, and therefore get their points across but um, that was just another sort of element to it that I, I thought was worth sharing and and that's a little it just connected to that there's another one you always hear basically oh why didn't you write this about Man City like, Newcastle has PSG <laughs> like it's yeah. again you heard this the same thing there and of course all of this basically is and this is where it gets it can it goes obviously some of this is just basic tribal support for some people but then there are questions about the number of bots I mean I I, I, I tweeted a picture of one of the accounts that that posted to me and literally underneath it was automated accounts with a Qatari flag there and glazers out or something like that um but that's the other one of course you get that uh, you know you're 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 in support of the Glazers, even though the, the two the two issues are really separate. Mm. Uh, and it, but of course, all all of this is just an attempt to suppress the discussion, which a yeah. discussion that I would say isn't isn't hard enough. I mean, because it's not like I mean, I don't mean to criticise broadcasters, but say with all the stuff around Newcastle in the, in the last week, it's just kind of this gushing praise about how great it all is, with very little actual consideration or awareness. What what's actually happening behind this? Um, and, and I, I have to say that's actually something that's begun to irritate me a little bit more. Well, it's, because it's, of the because, fact that... it's it's because Miguel, from the point of view of Sky or you know Sky are our major rights holder, they probably think this is good. You know, they're they're like, well, you know, if some guy comes in, throws a lot of money around at Newcastle. You know, maybe maybe Kylian Mbappe joins Newcastle or whatever. You know, I mean, for example, that's good. You know, we're 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 in the business of selling football matches. You know, love them or hate them, you can't ignore them. You know, from, from Sky's point of view, um, this does create a sort of sensational element to the league, which helps to shift their product. But it, it's, it's remarkable the way it's just positions. If it's kind of just this, this kind of 
you know, an upstart club def- defying the the usual order of things, but in actual fact, it's just yeah. a representation of <laughs> everything power. that's Making wrong in power. football at the moment. Yeah. yeah. I think there was some at the start, to be honest, and then it, it maybe it just tends to ebb away, and that, that could be sports washing in action, that ultimately people get, uh, yeah. including broadcasters, well, yeah. just get a little bit fatigued by the whole thing and then focus on the football. And, and it's something I think we've discussed before. I think we were mentioning this around the Newcastle-Man City game earlier in the season, where there is an element, I suppose, fatigue, and for media as well, because... You can't quite just keep repeating the same things. And even like I've found when we've kind of been discussing this editorially, how like, I can't, I can't believe I'm going to repeat myself, but you can't just keep repeating the same thing. This is just, you know, a club being used. <laughs> and you almost need it. But, but, then, but that's all, that's all, that's that's part of the process. It is difficult of normalization. to keep repeating the same stuff, yeah. But, it, but it's, it's part of the process of normalization. And, I, and I, because when it's not mentioned, then it's, that, that's how it just becomes accepted as, I mean, if you actually look at what's happened, if you stand back, what, we, what we've essentially had is these states with the I mean, autocratic states with the most problematic human rights records buying off really valuable parts of uh, culture that uh, have an emotional power way beyond any sort of business. And far from this being criticized really in any kind of substantial way, it's actually applauded true. It's fairly dystopian that. Miguel, on that uh, extremely sad note, we will we'll wrap things up. <laughs> Miguel, thank you so much. Larry, brilliant. Thanks, Mill. Thanks, guys. He agrees with plenty. Just it's always who's saying it. It's never what's actually said. Ninety percent of anything is who's saying this, and ten percent is what are they actually saying. So, the ninety percent in Giles' case is oh, it's that twat. John is the best football brain in the world. He just thinks I'm an annoying twat. I'd never let you do. I'd never let you down. But if you're talking about the, the, the press, which you're talking about, have this you know, opinion of Guardiola, it doesn't necessarily mean that football people have. Yeah, I, I think I do like Ken Early's work. He writes fluently and thinks uh, cogently, but uh, I think he's wrong. The press come and go, as we know. You mentioned Ken Early. Well, yeah. you know, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't necessarily agree with anything Ken Early says about football. He just thinks I'm an annoying twat. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you know, what can you, what can you do? Can't please everyone. Meanwhile, over on Gunnersaurus TV, formerly known as Premier Sports. <laughs> I did mention that there were a lot of underwhelming games on Saturday and I'd I'd probably have to put the Arsenal-Leicester game in amongst there. Arsenal winning it 1-0. Leicester's expected goals. Does expected goals anyone want to hazard a guess? Zero. Uh, I saw it. It's never zero. It's never never been zero. Point zero. Point zero one. 0.02 0.02 that's it I took, I took yeah. note of it all that just day that's really quite that's quite a statistic they really do miss James Madison when he's not playing oh my <laughs> word I said I said Chelsea were are a tough watch these days Leicester that was the first time I'd seen them in a few games and uh, don't uh, ha- happy enough if they're off the agenda for the next next few <laughs> weeks anyway but um, yeah so Arsenal march on uh, thanks, guys. Thanks, Murph. Thanks, Ken. Thank you. Thank you ever so much, Owen. Thank Owen, you, Ken. Thank you, Thank you, ETH. Thank you, Casemiro. Thank you, football. Thanks for listening. Do have a think about becoming a member. Ad-free podcasts all the way in that case. The Second Captain's Podcast is part of the ACAST Creator Network. Oh,
was that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never got home, they never got home, they never got home, those, those, those boys. It is not war and death and famine, it's not that at all. It's the opposite of that, it's to persuade the world outside of that. That's why sports important. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.